Welcome to the Jack and Joe Show. We talk about property, business, and everything in between. Hosted by Jack Heskin Taylor and Joe McCarthy. Sharing the stories of entrepreneurs, property investors, and our journey to health, wealth, and happiness. Welcome to another episode of the Jack and Joe Show. We're down in Birmingham today with the lovely Sue Sims. Hi, Sue. Hi, good to see you. Good to see you. Today, we're going to be basically going into Sue's background, how she got to where she is today and, and what she's doing at the moment and try and get some tips for anyone like ourselves if you're getting started in the property industry, especially HMOs, you do social housing as well? Yeah, we do. Yeah. So I've, I've been involved with HMOs, social housing and buy-to-let, so uh, across the board really, and that's with my business and personally. So I've got a portfolio of more than 40 properties and just really for my own peace of mind, we've got I've been quite diverse with what we've done with that. So we've got some two and three bedroom houses, I've got some two bedroom flats. Um, they're just like standard rented out to families or professional couples. And I've got some houses which are leased for social housing. I've got an HMO and I've got some serviced accommodation apartments. So there's a real spread yeah, of what very, we do. Yeah, yeah, very diverse. No, that's good, that's good. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you even got started in property in the first place? Yeah, I was really fortunate. So I started in property um, more than 30 years ago because um, my dad, um, I just think he was really, really forward thinking. Um, Matt, and Dad's always got loads of big ideas about stuff, he's brilliant. Um, so he was a student landlord back in the 70s and 80s before there was buy-to-let mortgages, before there was interest only, probably before you were born. <laughs> and um, So Dad had a few student properties and then when I was 21, um, he found actually this is the building. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So Dad found this, which is the shop downstairs, the flat above it, and he just said, look, I think that'd be a really good investment for you. Wow. And um, he suggested that I go to talk to his bank manager and his bank manager was great. And he said, yep, that's fine. We will loan you the money, but I want your dad to be your guarantor, which I didn't want. If I was going to do this, I wanted to be able to do it under my own steam. Um, So I had to go and find a bank manager and it's like 21. It was like, okay, how do I do this? Um, So I banked at the time with Midland Bank went in to see the bank manager and I'm sure probably had all of those feelings that everybody has when you've got to go and make a presentation mm. and you feel nervous, you feel anxious, you're concerned, I had all of those feelings, definitely. But anyway, went to see, um, I remember his name now, Mike Finn, and went through everything and luckily he said yes, they would lend us the money or lend me the money. Um, so. That was, yeah, more than 30 years ago. I think we paid £18,000. That's for this property that you're in now. Yeah, yeah. So I had a 10-year mortgage, and literally then it was paid off at the end of 10 years. We put that, this property then, it went into um, myself and my sister, invest together with mum and dad. So it became what we called um, Sims and Daughters. Um, yeah, um, and, and that was literally then when we started. So dad, dad had always been involved with property, but then when he decided that he um, was had basically got too old, he was fed up of managing the properties, gave me an option, say either, do you want us to keep them and you can manage them, or are we just gonna sell them? And I was in a situation then that I was in, I was full time in recruitment, so I was working 50, okay. 60 hours a week, making really good money. So I just didn't have the time then to be able to manage yeah. their property. So mum and dad sold them 
and put the money into stocks and shares yeah, as, yeah. as you do because they want to still get a return yeah. and then the market crashed in oh, 2008 no so lost a chunk and dad was like okay fine what, what we're going to do took the money back that was left yeah. and started reinvesting in property all over again <laughs> yeah. so it's like really cyclical yeah, yeah. and so at the same time then my sister and I decided we were going to get more involved um, so Paula and I from 2008 um, have grown our portfolio significantly we own between us I think um, 24 25 properties sorry that sounds dreadful that I don't know the exact numbers <laughs> when, you, when you started and, and after the stock market crash did you all pull money together did you just buy a limited company or did everyone just do their own right sort of thing? yeah we've with all of the properties that I own so as well as what I own with my sister yeah I also own properties with uh, one of my best friends okay. um, he and I have put together money and we've got six properties nice. um, and then I own some with another friend as well so I've always invested jointly oh, okay Interesting. before I even know that that was a That's joint venture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, that was what we did. So I invested with my sister, I invested with one of my friends, and actually I've got, I still own a property with an ex-partner as well, but that, that's another, but you know, it's, it was an amicable split. So there was no reason that we had to then sell the property yeah, because yeah. it just didn't make sense. Um, so coming back to your question, how, how did we do it? The money that mum and dad had was enough to buy one flat, yeah. which was quite run down and we refurbed it mm -hmm. um mum and dad were going to use that then that if they decided to downsize okay. that was going to be where they were going to go and live yeah. but dad hated the fact that it was leasehold that we were paying service charges and that it just literally was just hitting the bot bottom line yeah. so um because we were really fortunate at that particular time because of the the market forces we sold that property for double what we bought it for. Really? Yeah. So wow. yeah, so we bought it for eighty, sold it, I think it was for like 152. Wow. Lovely. And that then was what has given us the pot which we've used literally then for me and my sister to grow that as a family business. Okay. So uh, continuing on from there, so you had that pot of money to work with. What was your primary strategy after having that pot? Would it be single lets, HMOs? Yeah, just really simple. Yeah. Yeah. And there is nothing wrong with slow and steady. Yeah. and what I call like old-fashioned investing yeah. so we use that pot to put down as a deposit to pay for refurb we'll then sit on the properties for a couple of years refinance and then go again okay. and yeah obviously I, over that time I accrued additional income from my job so did my sister so there was additional money that we could put in to grow what we were doing it's only really been in probably the last three or four years that I started going to network meetings and realised, oh, there's lots of other things you can do in property. <laughs> it's not just buy to let. And that's, because up until that point, that's what I'd always done. Yeah. So with the friends that I invest with, we'd always just done single lets because didn't know there was anything else to do. Yeah. Didn't really even know very much about HMOs at that stage. And I probably would have thought, what on earth do you want to have an HMO for? You've just got more tenants to manage. There's just, but anyway, it opened my eyes yeah. that there's so many more things that you can do. And that's why my own portfolio now is so much more diverse okay. than it just being single and straightforward by to lets. Okay. When you went that way, what was the first thing you did when you learned about all the new strategies? Ah, what did we do? I looked at, right, one of the properties that I would normally have used um, just as a straightforward buy-to-let, yeah. we converted into a five-bed, two-bathroom HMO. Ah, okay, okay. 
Did that go well? Yeah, I still own it. Yeah. We've not remortgaged it. Um, it is due to be remortgaged, but yeah, that that's just it's just ticks along. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so quite happy with that really. And so, what are your plans though going forward in your business? Um, any kind of main strategy? We know you have the the agency. Yeah, so I've got my my management agency. But if I look at like what I personally am doing in property, yeah. um, I'm quite happy to put my hand up and say I've run out of money. Yeah. So I haven't bought anything personally for the last 12 months because I've got to that stage of what do we do and what mm -hmm. we will do is to refinance. I know that I've got equity sitting in my properties. Yeah. However, I do quite like having a relatively um, conservative loan to value. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah, so I think we're probably sitting somewhere around about 60, 65% loan really? to value. Yeah. Wow, we yeah. met some of the yesterday was talking to us about sort of old school landlords that are keeping quite a lot of equity yeah. in their properties whereas newer people are leveraging to the yeah. max and yeah and i think that that buy refurb refinance mm. is tough yeah it is really really tough and this is why i get really frustrated by all the flipping training courses that are out there that are selling you no money down money in money out yeah how many times does it actually work? Yeah, I think it's really more really likely to work the, fur for, uh, the further north you go, yes, yeah. because the properties are so much cheaper. Mm -hmm. Birmingham is a really, really hot market, yeah. so it's almost impossible to be able to do here. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I, I, so there's people out there that are paying so much money for training courses, being taught strategies that don't work. Yeah, sold the dream, aren't they? That's yeah. it, they've being sold the dream. Yeah, and that does just make me a bit frustrated and I do sort of like probably go on about it a bit, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, I'm quite happy to put my hands up and say, look, go and do loads and loads of research before you pay any money for training. Yeah, yeah. And really, really, really make sure that what you're paying for, you're gonna get what you want. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we found that now when I first started off my journey, a lot of my education was just through books, networking and podcasts. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. And I I said that yesterday or the day before when I was Did talking you? about rent to rent and I was saying to people, before you go on in courses, read books, listen to books, listen to podcasts, go to networking meetings, talk to people, mm. ask questions, ask questions in Facebook groups. Yeah. That's yeah. practically all a free resource. Yeah, your network meeting might cost you 20, 25 quid. Yeah, true. But it's nothing in no, the overall not, scheme yeah. of things from what you can learn yeah. before you're going to go and pay like thousands yeah. for property education. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we're really in agreement. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like we've learned so much just going to networking events in our local yeah. area, speaking that with people that are physically doing what we want to do, that have gone through it and we'll call a spade a spade, won't fluff any numbers. They're not trying to sell us on anything. Yeah. They're it's just tough. basically telling us yeah. as it is. Helping you know, us. Helping us, yeah. And that I think is, it, it always surprises me. And I think people who are new coming into property always seem to be really surprised at how generous yeah. people are that are already working in property. That's for sure. Because I think most people will give you time yeah. As long as you're not taking the mickey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I know that I got to a stage, and when I had a business coach about three years ago, he was like, you have got to stop having coffee meetings. <laughs> because all that is happening is people are sucking your energy, taking your time, and you're not getting anything back from it. Yeah. He said, so you've got to start charging for your time. And we, I do charge now, and I do charge sensible prices, um, which might be a little bit more than a cup of coffee. But what it did get rid of was all the time wasters. Yeah. It got rid of all of those people who would want to come and have coffee with me, 
listen to what I'd got to say to them, and then in 12 months, they'd still not taken any action. Interesting. Mm. But I think if somebody's paid me, they're far more likely to listen to what I've had to say, yeah. come up with an action plan, and take action. Yeah. Because they've put some money into it. Yeah. yeah. So say if I'm personal and I'm coming to you for, say, like a sit down and coffee, a bit of education, yeah. uh, what sort of things would you go through? Right. It would, one, it would be tailored to what you want. Okay. And we would work out what you actually want to achieve out of that meeting. Okay. So you will walk away with an action plan and it might be that you come to me to say, so I really don't know how to work out what area I want to invest in. I don't know what business model is going to be best for me. And it's literally, it's then just taking that all down so like into the nuts and bolts. Okay. And that will just be the simple things like, before you go and view property, right, so people who work with me as a coach, think I'm the most boring coach in the world <laughs> because I'm the person that's going to say to them, do not go and view property. Right. I don't want you to do that until you've spoken to a mortgage broker, you've spoken to an accountant, yeah. you understand where you want to invest, you've made some phone calls, you've done some research, and you've actually nailed down what you need to be doing. And where you're going to do it. What, rather than, yeah, great, go and do the exciting stuff, go and view the properties, but actually, that's a waste of time. Yeah. If you haven't done all the background stuff that you need to do first, mm -hmm. but this is the stuff that people aren't taught. Yeah. When they've gone on the training courses, they're taught all the like big picture stuff and it's great, you can go out and you can do this, but actually, let's just take it back a few steps yeah. and let's just get all the, what I call like the nuts and bolts in place first. Yeah. Yeah, definitely setting the right foundations in place, really, isn't it? It's got to be. Field. It's a business. Yeah, yeah. That you, you, it's a property business. Mm. What other business would you go into without sorting out all of that foundation first? Yeah. But true. it just seems that people don't recognise that investing in property is a business. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And speaking mm. about business, because uh, we've started in service accommodation and we, we know <laughs> uh, you have. Uh, some units of your own as well. Um, so um, what are your thoughts on service accommodation? And as you said, like business, it is physically a hospitality business as opposed yeah, to yeah. property investment, yeah, so to speak. Okay, um, so sure. uh, service accommodation in my view is hospitality, it's not property. It's got nothing to do with property except for the fact that you actually have a building that you're running it from. Yeah. That's property. And people that come to me that say that they want to do serviced accommodation, I would probably ask two questions. One, has it been your ambition to have a guest house or a B&B? &B? And if that hasn't been your ambition, why do you want to do serviced accommodation? Yeah. Because serviced accommodation at the end of the day is exactly the same as running a B&B &B or a guest house, except you don't cook their food <laughs> and you don't give them breakfast. Yeah. It's no different. Yeah, it is. It is very uh, work intensive for sure. You know, and it's like we spoke about before we started recording this. You know, when the boiler goes at seven p.m. on a Saturday evening, yeah. who are they going to phone? You know, and if you're starting off, you don't have a management team in place to do this, and no. you know you don't have the capital to employ and hire an area manager. So you have to physically do all these things yourself. Isn't absolutely, it? but even when so I outsource everything with mine, and I've got an absolutely fantastic, fantastic company that yes. manage all my properties, and that's all they do. Yep. Their okay. business, they've got um, the husband and wife who are the directors have got about ten members of staff that work for them. So they're not scrimping in terms of what they're doing. But in exactly that situation, when a heater goes, they still ring me yeah. to say the heater's gone. What do you want us to do? They're yeah. very, 
they are very sort of like they'll always come to us with a resolution mm. which will always be do you want us to sort it out and replace it or do you want to use your own contractors okay. so even though I've outsourced everything I've still got to have input yeah it's not completely hands-off is it no no and I think think it's I think it's really a lot more difficult to be completely hands-off in serviced accommodation yeah. rather than HMOs so we manage HMOs and we manage sort of like buy to lets yeah. I think those can be much more hands-off yeah. yeah can you take us back to um so when you started investing initially and then you developed and you started to produce like a, you know a lot of income and started kind of pooling that money up together because you had to work at the same time and then invest yep. in that money um wh when was the transition point to go from there into hmo management and what was that like right okay so let's just try and think when i started doing this so whilst i was building my portfolio in the 90s and the early part of 2000s like the 2000s I was still working in recruitment so I was earning good money and that was great because we could just put that straight back into the property business I closed a recruitment company with one of my business partners about 2002 and went through sort of like quite a long period of time then where I was doing all sorts of different stuff. Literally, I was properly self-employed, doing lots of different things with whatever I needed to do to earn money, pay the bills, pay my mortgage, all that sort of stuff, because we've never taken money out of the property businesses. Okay. That's always just been reinvested because the property has always, in my view, has always been for pension yeah, and for the long okay. term. Um, and I think my dad got a bit fed up of not being able to say to people, What's your daughter do? So he started talking to the letting agent who I used to let my own properties, who was a one-man band. And Dad had said to him, look, you know Sue's really good at sales. Why don't you get her on board and grow your business? So we started working together. Within less than 12 months, took that to the situation where he had to go VAT registered because we grew the business a lot. Yeah. Um, but then there were a lot of broken promises. So I set up my own um, lettings agency back in 2015. Yeah. And that was just doing standard buy to let. And it was really when I was only just starting to learn about HMOs. Then I had a few landlords who came to me to manage their HMOs. And through the networking that I'd done, met up with the two guys that, I'm, that are directors now in Genie Rooms with me. Okay. And that was when we set up um, Genie Rooms in September 2017. Okay, and the um, emphasis was always going to be on HMO management, yeah. but I think that you've got to be able to adapt to business as well. Yeah. So we also manage just straightforward single buy to lets. Yeah. And I've been involved in social housing for about the last three or four years um, because I knew it was quite good that it wasn't. It was an HMO because you've got four or five people living in the property, but I get paid as if it was a buy to let. Mm. So for me, that was just like brilliant. I pay no bills, I have no voids, and I get paid rent every month. Yeah. Brilliant. So um, that's for social housing? That's for social housing, so how yeah. how did that come about? Like what first got you interested in that, or how did it start? A, a total utter fluke. Really, yeah. Because I was working in a lettings business, yeah. and we were advertising other people's HMOs that were student properties and we'd missed the student market with some of them okay. because the landlord brought them to market too late. A director from one of the um, housing associations that we work with approached me to say, would that landlord be prepared to lease his property to us for us to use for our clients? Yeah, yeah. 
And once we'd done that two or three times, oh, we could see that it was working with other landlords. I then thought, right, okay, I'll now look at trying it with some of my own property. So did it for my own property. And then when we know that that model is working properly and we've gone through a cycle, mm -hmm. about two years ago, we started offering it out then as a, a solution for other investors. Could you break it down for us on, on how it works? Do they just give you a fixed a fixed rent and then, yeah, it's and brilliant. then they rent the rooms out yeah, essentially? Yeah. So, so for example, in Birmingham, um, if I had one of my three bedroom family homes, probably rent out in Birmingham for about so between 650 and 750. Yeah. Converting that into a four bedroom HMO means that we will then get a guaranteed rent of 11.25 a month. Okay. So that is a four bedroom HMO, what I would call like a standard HMO, yeah. where you're gonna have four individual working people living there. I think it's really difficult to make hit consistent profit. Yeah. Because I always think with like a four bed HMO, your first three rooms cover all the bills and the mortgage, room number four covers the voids, and it's only when you get to room five that you get profit. Okay. But leasing that property to a social housing provider means one, I don't pay any bills, two, I don't get any voids, yeah. and I get a guaranteed rent every single month, regardless of how many people they've got living there. So they are taking all of that risk and they will pay full rent from day one. Yeah, and the bills included is massive as well. Oh, it's it? huge. Yeah, it's, it's, so that's why it just works. And do you get the rent, what you would, if you were to let out as a single let, do you get no. the same? Or is it no, if I let the property as a single let, I'd probably get between sort of 650 to 750. Yeah. Paying the additional money to make the house into an HMO and make yeah. it HMO compliant, we get 11.25 a month. Yeah. So there's a significant increase. Yeah. So in, is that what the social housing give you? Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. So the property that we're probably using and with the investors that we're working with, that we're working this model, um, they are um, probably going to buy a property that will be between 120 to 130 in Birmingham. Okay. Conversion cost is going to be about 15 to 18,000. Yeah. So again, your conversion cost is so much less than a standard HMO for working people. Yeah, okay. Because in Birmingham, the HMO market now is there's certain areas that are really saturated, but yeah. I would still say that to achieve premium rents, you've got to go very high end. Oh yeah. yeah. You've got to go six bedrooms, all en suite, yeah. to really get the returns that you want. Mm. And then you've still got the issue that you can have voids because there's always going to be a period where you're not going to have six people for 52 weeks in the year. Yeah. Yeah. You've got the uncertainty with how much your bills are going to cost. Um, so for me, it's just, and that conversion cost is probably going to be sixty or 70,000 yeah, yeah. versus my nice little house for social housing that's going to cost fifteen to 18,000. Yeah. Is there still like certain regulations you've got to meet for that? HMO, everything, it's got to be HMO compliant. All HMO, so all okay. your fire doors, yeah. your interlinked smoke detectors, your emergency lighting, okay. they go a little bit further because they want window restrictors on upstairs windows, they want okay. CCTV cameras covering um, communal areas. So a couple of extra things. A couple of extra things, yeah. Um, fully furnished. Yeah carpeted blinds all the way through, all the usual sorts of stuff. Okay. Um, and um, so what would be some of the, the biggest challenges challenges you found now in the, the HMO management? People. Kind of the, yeah, people. Tenants. <laughs> so, so breaking that down. Breaking that down. 
So breaking it down, say if uh, you're vetting a tenant, how would you vet your tenants prior to letting them have the room? Okay, so there's, I suppose there's, there's two ways. Um, all of the tenants, obviously, one of my lettings team will have met them at the property. Okay. So would have spoken to them on the phone first. And so we'll make sure that they're in a job. Um, we'll talk to them about when they're looking to move in. We make sure that they're just looking for a room just for themselves because yeah. you'd be surprised the number of people that ring up go, oh, I'm interested in that room. Yeah, who's going to be living there? Oh, my wife and my yeah. two-year-old. <laughs> okay, well, probably that's not the best for you then and it's going to breach all the HMO requirements anyway. Yeah. Um, so we'll do those sort of like standard questions to begin with so that we're not wasting time going and doing viewings. Yeah. Then we meet the people um, at the property, meet the person to actually decide, right, are they going to fit into the house? Yeah. And then, yeah, if we feel that they're going to be a good fit, um, they'll pay their holding deposit and then we'll get them into referencing. We use a third party referencing company. Okay. So they'll do then all the landlord reference, the work reference, the credit check, the right to rent check, all of the stuff that we need to have in place. Um, okay. So it just gives us that, that backup as well. Yeah. And then when we've got that is a pass, we'll then run it past the um, landlord, the investor, say, right, this is the person that we've got who wants to move into the property. Are yeah. you happy to go ahead with it? Perfect. And so you're doing the refurb now to, into a HMO. Would you start advertising that room to rent even before the refurb was done? We've heard no. some people do it. Yeah, I, right, okay. I don't actually know how often that that works yeah. very, in my experience. Timing is like probably such a small window there. And I'm such a cynical person when I see these posts on Facebook where people say, oh, I haven't even finished my refurb yet, but I've let all six rooms. Really? <laughs> Have they? Or again, is this like Facebook myth? Because yeah. you can say what you like on Facebook and anybody's going to believe what you say. Yeah. Because Facebook is the truth, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but that's it. Like even saying that, you know, people prefer to share their wins. You don't see too many people sharing their losses on Facebook. And you no. know, the reality is, you know, it's hard. It's not like it's not it plain is. sailing. No, it, it is really tough. And Again, I'm, I'm probably really old-fashioned because the HMOs that we do, which are really high standard, we just do with like straightforward colour schemes. We're white and grey, really boring, white scenes, white walls, white woodwork, grey carpets, and then we'll put the pops of colour in all of the dressing. Because then if somebody hates red, for example, and you've just got a red throw, red cushions, and red, they can remove that. Yeah, They're yeah, still going to yeah, take yeah, that room. Nice. Yeah, yeah, nice. But if you've got a feature wall that's red, yeah, it's not too easy to change. <laughs> are they then going to take the room? So I, I think I probably am one of these people that's not. I'm not into all of these like brightly coloured houses because again, I think yeah. the other thing is how easy is it to maintain them when you've got a change of tenants which you're going to have. Are you then keeping pots of paint at the house yeah. for all the different shades and all the different colours? I mean, I saw a great house that was on um, Facebook over the weekend where they'd painted all of the door frames different colours. Yeah, yeah I've seen something like that before. Yeah, yeah so it's like yeah. every time then that that gets chipped, mm. how you, so I, I just think about things in much more sort of like long-term maintenance yeah. and the practicalities. It's great. These houses can look really, really pretty to begin with. But what are they like when you're getting 12, 18 months down track yeah. and you might be on to your third tenant moving into a room? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your third pot of paint. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if you didn't know the actual code of the paint as well, the yeah. colour code, and you're like, oh, 
was it that one or that one? And then yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I'm so pleased now that we've gone away from magnolia and brown because yeah. there were so many different shades of magnolia. There's only one shade of white. Yeah. <laughs> it's like really simple. You can go and buy white. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Um, so anyone looking to start a property and, you know, if you were to give any piece of advice to anyone who was looking to get a starting property, didn't know what they wanted to do, but where would you, what would you advise them, I suppose? What would you advise them just to kind of... Exactly what we talked what about. about. Just getting out there and talking with people and... Yeah, don't, whatever you do, spend your little pot of money that you've got, that you've saved up on property education, and then leave yourself with no money. Because you need money, regardless of what anybody tells you, you are going to need money. So do all the stuff that isn't going to cost you very much to begin with, so the reading, the going to network meetings, the listening to podcasts, Mm -hmm. talking to people, all that stuff that doesn't cost you, and then hopefully that's going to help you clarify which business model in terms of property is going to suit you best. And I think the other thing that is really critical for anybody starting off in property is that you really understand numbers. So you can work out, is a deal a deal? Or is it a deal in somebody else's eyes because they're selling it to you and you're gonna pay them a fee for it? You need really to be able to break everything down so you know in your own mind if you are using somebody else to go and find deals, that that is a deal in your eyes because you've done all of the work. Yeah, yeah. Me and Joe have looked at it a couple of times, like trying to do our, when we've been like pricing deals and looking at projects, like a three bed house into sort of like a four bed minimo, so we like pull money back out, and then we'd have cash flow off it as well, and we just self manage. But now that you've touched on social housing, if if me and Joe wants to do something like that, how would we? I would. What, what advice would you give? come to my course on the 29th of January but which is literally it's just a, it's an afternoon seminar I've already run two of them you'll get okay. people that will give you feedback we had 100 people at the first one and we had really? 80 yeah. people on Saturday but joking aside um what should we, should we go <laughs> yeah you'd be really welcome to 29th of January it's a Wednesday is it here? in Birmingham yeah I don't go out of Birmingham unless I come to Liverpool yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I mean if you're looking to get into social housing one you need to understand how it works Um, I do it in a very very simple way because I don't want to be managing their tenants Mm, standard tenants that are working in HMOs are a big enough headache yeah 95% of them are great but then you're always going to have that little 5% that's difficult yeah it's always going to happen isn't it yeah and it's all part of being in business in social housing, with the tenant type that they have, because generally they're going to be people who are homeless and they are people then that are going to have challenges, you're yeah. probably going to say that 95% of them are awkward and difficult and hard yeah. and 5% of them are great. Yeah. So it's like a totally the way. So I've got absolutely no interest whatsoever in managing that tenant type. Okay. So that we do it in a very, very simple way, which is that we have a lease between the social housing provider and the investor that owns the property and they get the rent paid and then the social housing provider pays all the bills and everything else so you would take your property there's a specification laid down as to exactly what they want now I'm talking about Birmingham because the social housing providers are all here in Birmingham I've negotiated fully repairing leases we've negotiated high weekly rentals 
because we're giving them a property which is like a brand new property it's completely HMO compliant and literally yeah. from day one of them signing the lease they could move tenants into the property yeah. if you want to do it in your area you're gonna to have to put in the hard work and the slog and there isn't any easy way around it of finding the social housing providers in your area yeah. that do this and then build relationships okay. there aren't any shortcuts there isn't any way that you can do it any other way other than probably get doing the Google searches, finding the potential companies that you might want to work with and getting on the phone and ringing them to see if they've got a need and that they would work with you. Okay, could you, if somebody new was getting started out, would they tend to maybe have a bit of a void period while they were trying to get, get that started or would you recommend to do that part, that part first to get the ball rolling? I'd probably do it first. So yeah. that if you're buying a property, all the way through while it's going through conveyancing, I would probably want to be trying to find who it is then that would be likely that might be able to take it. Okay. Because then as soon as you actually own the property, you will have already been talking to that company to find out what their specification is. Yeah. So it's almost like then you've got an end user before you've bought the property. Yeah, yeah, before, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, you need to have bought a property where you know that you've got two or three exits. Yeah. I think that's what I always look at. So. The properties that we're sourcing for investors to use for social housing, we're looking at buying them in areas where there is still rental demand for family property. Mm -hmm. There is, so it could either be sold to a family, it could be rented to a family, it could be sold to another investor. So if for any reason that house that we've chosen to use for social housing isn't going to work, yeah we've then got other exits okay. and I think that that's really important whether it's you looking at a house that you think that you want to use for social housing or just any property that you're buying yeah. you need to make sure that you've got more than one exit yeah could you one of them properties say if it was a free bed into into a four bed for social housing could you easily convert that back into a single let you're not going to do anything different with it just keep it as it because is because probably the house that you're going to find will be a terraced property yeah. with two reception rooms and three bedrooms upstairs. Yeah. So you're not making any significant changes to that property. Yeah. That's the beauty of this as a, as a model. Yeah. If you go to the next level up where you're going to have a five or a six bedroom property, the only difference that you need to do is it needs to have two bathrooms. Yeah, okay. But again, except for the fact that you've made it completely HMO compliant, so you'd have your emergency lighting in it, yeah. You could still rent that house out to a family. Yeah, yeah, you could, yeah. Because it's still a house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah no, so good. you're not doing anything significant to make it massively different. Mm. Yeah, no, it makes sense, right? And <laughs> something we were talking about as well, if we're doing the buy, refurbish and refinance model, if it didn't refinance at the value that we wanted to refinance at, yeah. we're still working out <laughs> as a single let and it was still cash flow okay and cover costs yes yeah. absolutely the, yeah yeah potentially so again i think it's it's if you're using buy refurb refinance i think you've just got to be really Great. coming back to the numbers yeah it's hard to find a deal that, yeah. that completely stacks up definitely yeah absolutely every, every day we're looking at stuff all the time you know yeah it is very very difficult i think so in the time we've been sort of so we're, i've got a sourcing company we've been running it for about two and a half years yeah um, most of the properties that we've sourced have been for the big five, six bed, all on suite HMOs, but we've, okay. we've done quite a number now of houses that use for social housing. Very, very few of those are going to get money back out. Okay. There's always going to be money left in the deal. If an investor did like a six bed, all on suite HMO, could they then use that 
would social housing take that on as well? They would do, but the cash flow from it probably wouldn't be as good. As if, you, if it was let As if it was letter, well. yes, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. But they'd still be able to do it. Yeah, the backup plan, their plan B, essentially. Yeah, definitely. So I have got some investors that are now coming to us that have got HMOs that are all en suite, yeah. but they're in an area of Birmingham where we really have reached saturation point. Yes. So even though they've got the nicer HMOs and they've got them all en suite, they are coming to me to say, if I lease this to a social housing provider, how much would they pay me? Yeah. And then I haven't got to pay the bills. I haven't got to worry about voids. Mm -hmm. So although then they're taking probably a lower profit element, mm they've actually got certainty yeah, because they know major. absolutely every single month exactly how much money they're going to be paid. Yeah, 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 no, it makes sense, right? It's that guaranteed kind of thing that's coming in every single month. Do you know, they can work their numbers on that. Plus the, having the bills all paid for is a major one as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think as well, it allows you to plan because I think if you've got a five or a six bed HMO and you can in your head have thought, right, okay, when I've worked out my numbers, I might look at having 48 weeks of occupancy across all six rooms mm -hmm. but the reality might be you might only have 40 weeks of occupancy across all six rooms yeah. and that hits that bottom line massively mm. and then it makes it really difficult I think to plan yeah because your time is so consumed in that trying to fill in rooms yeah. whereas that time that's employed on trying to do that could have been employed on Exactly, yeah. yeah. So instead of, and I, these are just numbers that I'm making up, they're not the actual numbers. So it could be for that sort of like big HMO, you might be thinking that after you've paid all of your bills, before your mortgage, it might be cash flowing £1,800 a month. But the reality of it, some months you might only get 1200 yeah. Whereas actually, if you knew, if you'd leased that property for social housing, every single month you were going to get £1,500, yeah. you can plan. Yeah. Because you know it's coming in, don't you? Yes. Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's that's where the difference is, and I think different things suit different people. Yeah. Um, the difficulties with social housing is the lending is more difficult. Okay. There are far far fewer lenders that have got an appetite to okay. lend for properties that are going to be used for social housing, and as a new investor, if you haven't got any landlord experience, your yeah. rates are going to be really high. Okay. So you might be paying seven percent interest okay. rates to get that mortgage but you can still do it okay. so it just really depends that there's so much that you need to take into account and it all comes back to numbers and I know I'm really yeah, boring yeah. when I just talk about numbers <laughs> but it's like everything to do with property I think you've really really got to understand what the numbers are yeah. so one of the brokers that I work with when we look at this for a new investor that wanted to get into social housing because they wanted that certainty we almost put in place like a three-step process yeah. which was buy the property mm -hmm. and use it for 12 months as a buy to let okay. and do it with yeah get the okay. landlord experience buy it on a mortgage where there's no early repayment charges yeah. get your 12 months experience once that tenant moves out which has just had the house as a normal buy to let step yeah. two is make the house HMO compliant at that stage because yeah. you've had some cash flow and remortgage onto a mortgage that is suitable for social housing. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's very good. It's simple and it's just sort of effective uh, yeah. as well. You know? Yeah, but it's, that's just taking a bigger picture view. Mm. Mm. Yeah. 
But it could be that they might say, well, actually, because I know I'm going to get extra cash flow by doing it as social housing, I'm going to take it on a mortgage with a higher interest rate yeah. because I still make more money. Yeah, you still make... What do you tend to normally get per room or does it differ on area? Or? All areas differ, yeah. It, so, yeah. So working with Birmingham City Council, we get different rates, for example, to what Warsaw Council would pay. Okay. So if you're doing this around the country, the rates are going to be very, very different yeah. around the country, yes. And what would some of the challenges be with dealing with the council? Would be any major challenges? To I never deal with the council. No? This isn't anything where... You, you, right. In my, yeah, in my experience, I've never done it, but I've had landlords who have. They have rented their property direct to the council. Okay. And the properties have come back in absolute dire condition. Yeah. yeah, when they've taken the properties back. So I would so never. It's just agencies you use. Yep. So we work with social housing providers or housing associations. Oh, yes. Okay, okay. And then within the lease that we're signing, it's fully repairing, and they give the property back in the same condition that they took oh, okay. it on. I've heard somebody say that. Say that you get the property returned in the same condition when you're letting it to the council, but it's not, is it? They've obviously been confused some way. They could be. The, I mean, the council could say that, yeah. but in my experience, it hasn't happened. Hasn't. Okay. So okay. I don't know what the reality is and whether yeah. or not there are some councils that, that, that yeah. do do it properly and do give the property back in good condition. In my experience, that hasn't happened. Okay, okay. PIP, the PIP. Yeah, oh, par yeah, partners, really yeah, partners, yeah, partners, partners in property, yeah, 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 which is, that's my little baby. Yeah. That's what I just absolutely love. Tell us all about it. So, um, set it up with Adam Lawrence. Uh, Who's Adam? Adam Lawrence is my business partner yeah. in Partners in Property. Um, we met through networking, bizarrely. Um, we just happened to be in sort of like the same circles, yeah. and then we're given an opportunity to take over a network meeting, which really wasn't working very successfully. Okay. And so, sort of like the, prior to that, Adam and I had been at a, a meeting. And we must have been looked so rude to everybody else because we literally stood like this, talking for about two, two and a half hours about loads of different stuff. But we actually thought we've got the same values yeah. and we're coming from the same position with what we want to do. We do very different things in property. I am slow and steady, built my portfolio, run out of money. Yeah. Adam is 100 miles an hour, has probably bought in excess of 300 properties in the last four years. Really, yeah, wow. Yeah, <laughs> That's so, yeah, really, really different. But anyway, our values are the same and our values are aligned. Yeah. So we decided that what we wanted to do was to set up something different, which was going to be a daytime property meeting for full-time property investors. Yeah. Because what I always found when I went to network meetings, I was the most experienced person in the room, yeah. okay. which is great for everybody else. Not it's so not brilliant for me, yeah. no. So I would always learn something because I think when you listen to a speaker, there's always going to be stuff that you can learn. Yeah. Um, so we wanted something different where it was for full-time property people that are all doing stuff in property. Yeah. Yeah. They're not dreaming about doing stuff in property. They're, They're the actual yeah, yeah. doers, yeah. The, the people that have taken action. And so we, we set it up to, to begin with in September 2017. Mm -hmm. And it's just snowballed from there. So we started off just in Birmingham. Our first meeting, I think we had about 50 people. And uh, it, it, yeah, it just looked like snowballed. Then one of my friends who does HMOs in Taunton and Bridgewater and lives down in the Southwest, um, she was like, oh, 
wish there was something that we could do down here because I'm quite lonely because sort of like my friends don't really get property. And I think yeah, we yeah. can all be in that situation that your friends don't really understand yeah. why you're doing it. So she and I just had a coffee meetup. And from that meetup, people went, yeah, we'd love to have partners in property down here. So we set up partners in property in Bridgewater, nice. January of this year. Nice. And then we thought we've really got to go into London. So we started in London in June and we've got absolutely fantastic um, host in London, Piotr Rizanek, and he's an auction specialist. So we all specialize in sort of like slightly different things, yeah. which is good. Um, so London, now we probably have 60 to 100 people at every meeting. Yes. Birmingham, we're getting between 60 and 70. And the Bridgewater meeting, we've recently, in the last three months, moved into Bristol. Okay. So our three venues now, or three locations, are London, Birmingham and Bristol. And Bristol, we're just building momentum. We're getting about 30 to 40 people there. But we do it very, very differently. One, it's a daytime meeting. Yeah. Two, we have two speakers. We provide lunch that is included in the cost that you pay. And in the afternoon, we do round table masterminding where each table is hosted by an expert. Nice. Oh, and then you, we do sort of like three turnarounds. Okay. So we'll have about six mastermind tables and we spend about 35 minutes and then we'll say to people, you can move on now to the next table if you want to, or you can stay. You can stay when we first started, we just did one long mastermind session and people, I think, are so polite that you could see them sitting there with half an ear on another table <laughs> because they wanted to hear what was going on over there, but they were too polite to want to move from this table <laughs> and the host on this table. So that's why we took control of it a little bit and just said, right, okay, if we have three separate sessions and yeah. we give people permission to yeah. move, nobody feels that they're just stuck in one place. Um, and then we've got uh, a separate WhatsApp group for each location and we've got a secret Facebook group so what we're trying to do is to build community it's not about the meeting it's about the fact that people can communicate with each other in between meetings so yeah. people put questions out there was one last week in the Birmingham group I need a gas engineer urgently can anyone recommend anyone so it's all about building that sort of like friendship yeah, between nice. the people and that if you're a new person just starting out and you want to be in an environment that's safe that's only going to cost you 50 pounds a month mm -hmm. and you're that serious that you're going to take a day off work a month so that you can come and learn yeah it's a great environment to be in and we're really proud of it that sounds brilliant sounds yeah. like there's yeah. a lot of learning to be had definitely yeah and absolutely and you, you yeah you need to come to one of our meetings just yeah, to yeah, see yeah, um, yeah. yeah and there's we've got plans for next year as well so we're really sort of like quite excited about yeah, where 2020 now. is going to take us yeah that is brilliant. yeah That's so great. it's all good perfect so uh, where can people if they want to get in contact with you where will they be able to reach out to find find you um on facebook, facebook. i live yeah. my life right. on facebook <laughs> um, i'm on linkedin yeah um, I've got a Facebook group because um, I've almost maxed out my friends limit on <laughs> Facebook so it's like it's really hard for me to sort of like accept new friends because I'm, I'm about three people short of 5,000 yeah. so I know it's going to go over very shortly so if people want to join me through sort of like the Sue Sims property community yeah. I put lots of content into that um, more than happy to contact me that way or if people want to phone me I'm happy for people to do that or to send me email yeah. um, 
however people want to contact me really okay okay that's yeah that's sounds great um, thanks very much for being here now my pleasure thank you yeah. for coming from liverpool all the way yeah. down to talk to me <laughs> i'm really delighted yeah no worries yeah, we'll definitely great. have to uh, go to the meetup the next time so we will um, yeah, yeah, brilliant excellent yeah, perfect we talk about property, business and everything in between. Hosted by Jack Heskin Taylor and Joe McCarthy. Sharing the stories of entrepreneurs, property investors and our journey to health, wealth and happiness.